We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome on in. This is the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast. We are looking ahead to the 2023 offseason. Some news and notes, some storylines, some best ball. We're also going to clean up a little bit from the Super Bowl, give our takes, reactions from what was a classic game this past Sunday. Let's start the show. Welcome on in. This is the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast presented by our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. Use the promo code RWNFL uh, when you sign up over at Underdog. Go ahead, get a nice little deposit match up to $100 and a six-month subscription to Roadwire. Again, that promo code RWNFL. Uh, Mario, we are on to the offseason, but we're not stopping. We are going to keep our podcast rolling all the way through. We're a couple weeks out from the combine, obviously the draft a couple months away at this point as well. So plenty to to unpack there. The new league year starts about a month from now. Uh, But before we get into all of that, let's take a a quick gander backwards. Let's look back to Sunday. What were your kind of overarching takeaways from what ended up being an excellent and very, very high scoring Super Bowl 57? Well, uh, I thought the officiating at the end was pretty much bad just for the fact that that play is often not enforced, uh, maybe even usually not enforced. So even if it's like the letter of the law or whatever, it's still not in practice the law. It's, uh, you know, it, it's probably just from, you know, poor wording of the rules, poor training of the refs, poor uh, judgment competence on the part of the refs. I'm not saying it was like, anything foul about it but like the the appearance of impropriety is just as you know significant and uh, at least from the optics viewpoint as a uh, actual impropriety and uh, the rules as they are currently stated are kind of basically like if the league just wanted some deuce ex machina you know kind of thing where they can just press a button change an outcome they have that in place that apparatus does exist whether they use it or not so uh that that was kind of infuriating to me um, but, uh, it's not like the main reason that the, the Eagles lost. It, it simply came down to that fumble, uh, that Jalen Hurts lost for a touchdown. That's, that's like a category of play. That's just, uh, it often makes you lose just 
alone. Like it's it's tough to win when you uh, against anybody. Almost when you have a play like that happen in a game, you know, good enough field position, good momentum, turn it into an automatic. Uh, as much as a 14 point swing in effect, and yep. uh, that's you know you can't do that against Mahomes. So uh, it was it was a little bit uh, unclean of a result in my opinion, but. Uh, rather than the Bradbury play, which, you know, that, that could have easily just been delaying the inevitable if that had been an incomplete pass or whatever, rather than a first down penalty. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, it, it does go back, uh, does go back more to the, uh, Jalen Hurts fumble, which is too bad for him, obviously, because it's kind of, um, it was like a fluky, it seemed like it was just a freak kind of play. It wasn't like he, uh, made some sort of technical error did some kind of no no he just like the ball just came out and he uh almost never has that happen and even when it does happen it's like a lot of times you see quarterbacks drop the ball and one of their linemen just jumps on it just really bad luck that hurts was seemingly the only eagle in uh, the left uh 60 yards of the field on that play yeah so that that was obviously a, a brutal um brutal moment for for the eagles one that that i that you know like you're arguing may have ultimately cost them, but I still, I come back to the fact that the Eagles scored 35 points and generally you feel like that, that should be enough to, to win an NFL game. Um, it, maybe against Patrick Mahomes, it's a little bit trickier to, uh, it's a, it's a higher bar to, to clear, but still 35 points, you know, that's, that's strong, especially when, you know, the narrative going in was so strongly, uh, geared towards that Eagles defense and, and you know how how stout it was at every level how lively the pass rush was uh, you bake in the fact that Mahomes might not be able to uh, move and escape quite as well as we're accustomed to as, as he continued to, to come back from from the ankle and yet no sacks fr- from the Eagles that I, I think I saw a statistic that like they had uh, a player slip and fall on like 38 percent of uh, Patrick Mahomes that was dropbacks. also annoying yeah yeah so that it was funny, uh, you know, like I, I have no ill will towards Oklahoma State in general, but uh, it was funny for them to tweet out like that. This Super Bowl is played on OK State grass, baby. And uh, surely they must have they must have been too hasty or cut some corner or something or didn't have some kind of quality control element they usually do because like it, Oklahoma State surely does not play weekly with conditions like that, right? Like no. Okay, so yeah, there is it was a it was a shoddy, you know, everything's everything's falling apart in this country and like the league is no exception. It's just like Correct. all 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 infrastructure will collapse and we we simply uh will will have uh fields that get worse and worse forever now uh, as just as just a predetermined thing. It's uh, like yeah. a, being like a, a return guy but for like the Vikings uh Superdome like turf yeah, let's or, go uh, back to the to the spray painted green concrete. That yes, that's what I'm talking about <laughs> with, with the cool like uh, elbow butterfly pad thingies. Oh yeah, there's it's it's kind of funny to think about how many more players back in the day used to wear like neck rolls and like very heavy elbow pads and and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I guess I guess the trade off is we don't have that anymore, but we do have fields that uh are are uh, what would you even call it? They're like they're like not rooted. They're they're just they're just they're just kind of like banana peels with grass on them. Um, yeah. So that's cool. Um, but yeah, I, I guess you know, as far as like a competitive outcome, I don't know what the significance would be because if, if the Chiefs played on the same field, 
but mm-hmm. um yeah i think uh, john gannon is basically a fraud like it made no sense uh how he was getting coaching head coaching hype last year either and then he totally blew it against the buccaneers and people kind of the people who were hyping him were like oh i don't, I don't really know him and then uh another you know almost a year passes and the hype gets back up and the the Eagles defense does well in the regular season and those, those same hype merchants for Gannon like come back out. And it's like, why is a guy like this getting so much favorable attention from media in the league? Usually when things like that are going on, it's like somebody's, somebody's kind of like talking, you know, selling something. And I think in this case, it was like uh, Gannon legitimately caught on. Obviously he got, I mean, he got hired by the Cardinals, but there's, there's also a little bit different of a case with coaches like him where you see, in the hiring process, the interviewing process, there's just this like hagiography media that comes out from, from these reporters, like just fawning over the guy about, Oh my God, he's so smart and brilliant. And uh, that that's not something you see with every head coaching hire. It, it is what you're seeing with Gannon. And you know, that, that makes me suspicious. Like, why do we, why do these reporters have to tell us how smart he is? Can't we just notice that from watching his work? It's like, I don't need someone telling me Shane Steichen's smart, by the way. I just figured as much. Uh, with Gannon, you're like, what the hell's wrong with this guy? And then there's a there's a media guy, a you know, blue check guy who steps in and is like, actually, he's very smart. And you have to go, oh, sorry, I didn't I didn't realize he has been picked as one of you know the good ones uh, by the media, but he sucks. And I think particularly what catches what what, what makes people uh, fall for Gannon and, and the shtick that he and other other coaches like him have is that he's he's like one of these like uh, motivational talk, like self affirmation. Uh, uh, like a Jocko Willink. I, I wake up at 3 a.m. every day and, and by 5 a.m. I've already eaten two dozen eggs and done 700 lunges. Well, I I don't know what the CrossFit uh, is, is, is. I don't think he's like necessarily a paleo guy, but there's some kind of there's some kind of like um, borderline cultish like fitness uh philosophy brain thing that goes on with guys like Gannon and it's very much in vogue uh to have these like high energy guys you you talk about you know like CrossFit daily goals and stuff and like that's just something that I think everybody's really susceptible to that kind of rhetoric that kind of um, aesthetic right now not me I I just look at the field and uh that those those players are not playing as well as their talent would merit like it's, it's ridiculous that Gannon gets hired as a head coach for the, the, the Eagles uh, defense doing well, when you would look at their personnel and specifically say, oh, this defense better do well. This is, these are some good players they have here. This better go well. And then they played only as well as they should have, and Gannon gets praised for it. Like, come on, it's just the personnel. He's holding them back, if anything. He blew it. He single-handedly lost it for them against the, the Buccaneers. And in this game, I don't know what part it was exactly but Andy Reid had him in a sharpshooter from the first play and Gannon never got anywhere and mm-hmm. uh yeah he's 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 to me it's it's kind of funny like he's he's getting hired uh by the Cardinals his origins are not like Cliff Kingsbury but his his general nature I think very much is no ability to adjust getting by on just like impressing people with uh with like how uh, I don't know it, it, something about his affect is just uh, intoxicating to, to uh, upper management types, money men. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's crap. He hasn't done anything. Why is he getting hyped? It's, it's a, it's like a laundering effort uh, to get this guy hired. And uh, yeah, it, even the Cardinals, I think might've been just sort of like susceptible to media too. Like we didn't have Gannon linked to the Cardinals until right before he was hired. And it was really quick. 
So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Bidwell or whoever that idiot was is just you know scrolling, uh, you know, legacy sports media and saying, "Oh, this gaming guy sure seems smart." Uh, I mean, there's we... so many chin-ups. Um, well, that that is important, I, I think, of any football coach is being able to do chin-ups. But um, beyond that, I mean, this this doesn't feel novel in the sense that like any time that it, that a team makes the Super Bowl or makes a deep run, like the the coordinators are going to get a head coaching job, right? I mean, but like what what in about Vikings case? Yeah, he's mm-hmm. actually demonstrated something. You know, he's he's shown a way to put his players in positions where they weren't with other coaches and they're succeeding in ways with him that they weren't with other coaches. Whereas with Gannon, it's like, Hey, Darius Slay's playing pretty good. Must, must be Gannon making him that way or something. And it's, you know, it's just totally different, but yeah, it's, it's not surprising that media, that the people in charge, the people who uh, decide where the money goes, they, that they can't tell the difference is not shocking because it, it just ultimately doesn't even really matter that much to them. Well, all right. So we're, we're not, overly optimistic on how things are, are going to go out in Arizona. Do you feel like also that might be a bit, uh, I'm not saying it's going to be a David Cully esque, uh, just pull the rug out from under him. Cause I think that Gannon no, is going to be one of those idiots who gets like tons of excuses made for him because he, he says the right things and he sounds the right way and he looks the right way. And well, in, the, in this coming year, you know, like he's not going to have Kyler for most, if not all of it. So like anything yeah. that happens this year is, you know, inconsequential almost. Yeah, true. And for that reason, I'm not going to like, like I'm just going to say he should, he should, you know, be fired either way. Cause I just, I just reject him categorically, but it cool. won't be on the basis of how he does in that first year. Cause yeah, it, it is a borderline like design tank at this point. Yeah. And I'm taking like a, like a 10,000 foot view here of the, of the Cardinals, you know, Hopkins might be gone. Um, Kyler, you gotta blow it up. Yeah. yeah you got to blow it up. Um, but you, Kyler's, the constant, right. Or, or someone that, that's going to be there for the long haul. And, and we've, you know, kind of kicked it around a, a little bit as far as what the 2024 draft class looks like. If the Cardinals are racing to the bottom, they, you know, they, they wouldn't be really in the market for a Drake may or, or Caleb Williams. But I, I suppose at the same time, you know, you look at who, who was the team that uh, the Eagles traded up with uh, to get Carson Wentz a few years ago. Was that the Titans? Oh man, I don't know. I um, can't it, remember. Um, either way, um, you know that there could be that level of of um, just kind of a haul waiting there for for the Cardinals if they are as bad as we think they're going to be next year, and also ha- and have one of those premium spots that you know teams that are quarterback needy are going to be really clamoring for. They could kind of alter the entire trajectory of this franchise if they tank this correctly and are able to sell off that that draft pick for you know a ton in return potentially yeah they could be looking at it either way i think like they might be uh you know if if kyler's looking good after the injury they'll you know stick with him auction off to caleb i assume it's gonna be caleb williams going first and uh at a at a distance you know kind of similar to trevor lawrence in his draft uh, so if, if they have that pick, it'll be very valuable. And I think Williams is such a good prospect that it would kind of be worth the Cardinals thinking about trading Murray. And incidentally, mm-hmm. his, his contract is basically like a three, two year kind of contract uh, with just tons of uh, funny money guarantees shuffled around to kind of make it add up a certain way. But 
they can get out of it after this year and uh, not not painlessly like you know they'll so I'm, I'm loading um, like over the cap they say if he's a I'll post a June 1st trade so um, after this year I believe if I'm reading this right if they trade him as a post June 1st designation not that I know what that's pending um, they could basically uh, They'd eat 13 million in 2024, but they clear almost 39 million. So it's like dead money or not, the the cap it, it would clear quite a bit that way. And if somebody's, you know, if if they can get a first rounder for Murray and he's got like you know, basically two years, one year left on his contract that's affordable, that would be maybe a pretty good haul for them if they're getting Caleb Williams. But I happen to think Kyler Murray is definitely an above average quarterback. I think. Um, well, it's, 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 there are a lot of things funny about him. Uh, he is really good. Even if he's, even if he's a gamer, even if he's a, a, a damn millennial or whatever else, uh, he's still very good. And I, I do think the people who, who think otherwise don't know ball. Yeah, uh, I think so too. Um, I do sometimes get fixated on the, the fact that he runs like a toddler that just, uh, stole his dad's phone or, I'm stealing this, John, but uh, like the one thing that was said, uh, he sounds like a child trying to sound like his dad on the phone. (laughs) Uh, hello? Or like some adult, like, uh, it's it's Mr. Uh, It's Mr. Businessman. When when you're calling in as a child to your school to to fake uh, being sick or whatever, it's like, that's his voice. He's got a tummy ache. Um, Yeah. Uh, so he does have that. Um, the other uh, running style comparison would be that of uh, Mr. Krabs uh, from SpongeBob. Um, I haven't just... seen Mr. Krabs in the open field, but uh, I can. Those le- the legs are churning. Uh, there, there's not a lot of um, lankiness to Mr. Krabs, of course. But maybe, uh, uh, maybe like the Starship Trooper uh, aliens or something. Those, yeah, those guys are scary. Uh, especially the yeah, to not not as not as not as sharp, but uh, like similarly fast, scurry motion. Yes. Okay. So there there is that element of it. Um, I think that 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 signals that we've thoroughly unpacked um, the, the the Cardinals situation, which began as a Super Bowl recap. But but either way, I think that that that's kind of to be expected. It had to be said John. of us. Yeah. No. It it absolutely did. Um, before we get on to uh, some news and notes from around the league. A quick message from our friends over at Blue Wire. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now let's uh, let's indulge me a little bit. Todd Monken. Obviously, I went to the University of Georgia. I like Todd Monken. Accomplished great things during his time in Athens. And now he's going to my favorite professional football team, the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, so obviously was was pleased to see that Greg Roman was, uh, left. And I wasn't stoked that Monken left Georgia. But if he was going to leave Georgia, pretty happy with, with the with the landing spot. Of course, but um, I'd like to hear your opinion on on Munkin, and then I, I will I will give mine as far as you know what what he did at Georgia and you know how it might apply at the NFL level. Obviously, he has some some NFL experience of his own. Yeah, I like Munkin a lot. Um, I don't know where he would rank exactly in my sort of um, you know the the coach rankings or whatever, but. For me, he would have ranked high as a head coaching candidate, let alone offensive coordinator. So uh, it's 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 odd that Munkin hasn't gotten. He, there might be something about him, like maybe he's kind of a abrasive or something, because I, I don't know what else would be the explanation for why he hasn't gotten an NFL head coaching shot, uh, other than he hitched his way. What was it, Freddie Kitchens or Hugh Jackson? But like that one Kitchens. Browns Kitchens, yeah. So it's like if he just hadn't made the uh, star crossed decision to jump from the college ranks to the pro ranks for the Freddie kitchens uh, regime, Munkin might've been a head coach. Like he's, he's a, he's Munkin at worst to me is like a better version of Dirk cutter or something like that. Um, it would, I, I thought cutter had the game passing by basically while he was an offensive coordinator, but Munkin, he's been in so many different spots by now and he's, he's handled different types of, scheme details different types of personnel that I, I i like him a lot because he's one of these guys who's shown like a, a durable like pragmatic ability to work with anything in particular so uh while I, I saw some confusion about like isn't he like a passing game guy yes in that he's good at everything and, and yeah like he's got an adaptable understanding of the game where I don't think Todd Munkin's going to look at Lamar Jackson and be like, what the hell do I do with this? Like, he's going to look no. at Lamar Jackson. He's going to be like, oh, wow, you can do this with Lamar Jackson. You can do this. Like, because he does this, the safety's going to have to play over here. Usually they play over here, but since they're over here, we're going to be able to do this, which you usually can't do. Like, that's stuff that Munkin, I think, will immediately pick up on. And it's stuff that Greg Roman uh, could not care less about. So I think they are quite almost literally like exact opposites of each other. And I don't yep. mean ideologically. I don't think Greg Rowan really has an ideology other than dumb. I think that <laughs> Todd Munkin is a guy who can find all the run game cracks that Roman might have and just be able to, he'll, but he'll see everything else. Uh, or at least he'll, he'll 
whatever there is to, to pick up on, he'll pick up on it more and, and more quickly than most coaches. So uh, I, I don't think the, the Ravens could have made a better hire. I, I thought it was, I, I think that Munkin is very pragmatic. I, I think that um, especially over these last two years at, at Georgia, the ones in which they, they won the national championship, there wasn't a ton of receiver help really uh, when you think about it, like it, AD Mitchell was out for, for the bulk of this season came back for the, for the playoff. Um, George Pickens basically missed the entirety of the 2021 season. So you didn't have like the true, uh, like Brock alpha X, it, X right? receiver. So Brock Bowers ended up be, being the guy Brock Bowers, a true freshman tight end last year, just dominated and won the Mackey award, of course, that this past year. And I think that there, there's some interesting application possibilities or, or um, parallels when it comes to the way that the Georgia offense looked these last couple of seasons for, and, and how the Ravens could look because it's already a little bit ready-made. Georgia used a lot more two tight end personnel uh, than pretty much anyone else and bludgeoned people with it. I mean, uh, Darnell Washington, basically like the size of LeBron James, but heavier, um, you know, as a run blocking specialist that, that could also be a, a, a problem. In the red zone, and of course, Brock Bowers is a seam stretching, you know, just kind of unicorn. Maybe not, you know, not like a Pitts unicorn, a different type of unicorn, which uh, I guess is uh, inherently yeah, pretty, a, a little he, bit he an might, oxymoron. Kind of a, Bowers might be kind of like a first of his type, but yeah, I didn't even mean to skip Washington because I, I actually like him a lot. Um, don't think he's going to be. I don't think the Ravens have a spot for him, but no. uh, yeah, it's interesting. I I, I wonder. The point, the point I was trying to get at is, is that I think that. We the Ravens' strength of their pass catchers isn't too dissimilar from what the the strength of the Georgia pass catchers were, where it, it was it was more concentrated to the tight end than anywhere else. And that's not to say that you know the likes of Rashad Bateman and Devin Duvernay like aren't going to become anything. But I, I think that the the combo of Andrews and 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 ascending Isaiah Likely, in my opinion, like that that could be some interesting stuff for for Munkin to to play around with. Yeah. Um, so not, not, to, not to push back against any of that, but I, I do think like that, that Bowers and Washington were harnessed so well is again, like a, a testament to how pragmatic, how practical Munkin is. Cause it's like, those were two, the two best players easily. So he's like, all right, we gotta, we gotta amplify these two. And he did. So, uh, yeah, I think, uh, like Andrews is going to have to be used a little differently. Likely. I, I don't know if there's, I feel like he's a little redundant to, to Andrews, uh, when they're, you know, both healthy in my opinion, but I think likely it's a good plug in backup. What I'm interested in is if they, yeah, try to get more like the Darnell Washington t- or some, you know, Charlie Kohler is pretty massive. Not as, he not is, as heavy. He's like soft. Um, yeah. I don't know. Oh. He's, he's, he's like a, just a really huge receiver, truly um, an interesting player though. Like there's, there's something he can do. There's something likely can do. It's just uh anyway, uh, I do, I do trust Munkin to kind of whatever, whatever the best idea is, uh, I I trust him to find it more than just about any offensive coordinator, and I really love the hiring for Duvernay because I I think Duvernay's clearly a guy who it's like he 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 doesn't fit perfectly neatly into the various archetypes the, the these schemes have in mind, but I think Munkin is more likely than most coaches to look at him and say like this fast guy doesn't drop anything and people have trouble tackling him after the catch, so let's see if we can do something with that. Where I think it's like Greg Roman's just like. He doesn't set up the ISO boundary release as good as Demarcus Robinson. Send him to hell. And it's like, why? 
why wouldn't you just get your good players on the field is what I'm asking. And I think Munkin would look at it similarly. Just going to take that. Uh, just going to speak on Todd's behalf there. Uh, I, I like it. Um, and, and then, you know, that if, obviously Stetson Bennett and Lamar Jackson, very, very different players. But that, there were ways in which Munkin, and, and it's different in, in the NFL. The hashes are, are different, of course. But um, so, some of the design stuff for, for Bennett that, you know, w- was useful, especially in the red zone for, for Georgia. Um, I, it's like if Stetson Bennett is looking as spry and athletic and, you know, get getting into the open field as he was, Imagine what it looks like with Lamar Jackson oh, yeah. doing those types. Lamar things, Jackson, you know? Lamar Jackson has been the best rushing quarterback ever without it being part- that one first year, I guess the league was caught off guard enough that that was yes. the closest to easy mode he ever got. But everything since then has been incredibly high diff, like all Madden at least. So mm-hmm. uh, if Lamar gets an easy setup, it'll be the first time in years we've seen it at any point. And I, I would very much like that. And you know, it, it, Again, a little bit of wish casting here, but if this goes well enough, I, I don't expect the, the two sides to come to an agreement uh, that this offseason for, for anything long term. But if if the Munkin experiment works well enough this year, I think that he would have to consider maybe sticking around in Baltimore. Who knows? Who knows? But again, yeah, I think we'll, uh, I think they're going to we'll pay Lamar, but uh, I, I think um, I think Munkin could Lamar doesn't know him, but I think talking with Munkin, Lamar would be quickly convinced that he's a big upgrade over Roman. So I think Munkin has to help with uh, the Lamar sweepstakes, I think. Uh, I'm thinking so as well. But uh, again, uh, t- time uh, will tell. I'm kind of expecting the, uh, him to be on the franchise tag uh, th- this coming year. But um, who knows? Um Let's see. Anything else from around the league? Uh, I feel like we talked a little bit of, of Derek Carr last week. Um, Sorry, did he sign but, anywhere yet? I didn't pay attention. No, he, he did not. He's just officially going to be a free agent. He's He's been released. Yeah, I guess it's the Saints. It seems like the Jets are really aiming for Rodgers, who they consider well above Carr, so they can't really play that game. They have to stay on that Rodgers track. Uh, and other than the Saints, it's like, if I was the Giants, I would much rather have Derek Carr than Daniel Jones, but it doesn't seem like that's uh, really on the table. For the Saints, yeah, Carr's just kind of like an average starter, but uh, much better, I would say, than Andy Dalton. And I think he could be okay in fantasy because uh, he's going to be cheap if he's there. Uh, like, I wrote that article about Rashid Shahid. I think he's good. Chris Olave, I, I think he's like already a top seven, eight receiver in the league. So uh, it, there are worse setups to be had if Carr does end up there, and, and there will be worse starting quarterbacks in the NFL this year, certainly. Do you think the, the Panthers or the Buccaneers could be? Um... Oh, right. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I have no idea what the Buccaneers think of Kyle Trask. Uh, they might want to, especially if they're keeping balls and they're, they're clearly not going to keep him long term, they might do like a tank year with Trask or something like that. Uh, if they signed Carr, it would be obvious enough why. I mean, Carr's got to be better than Trask. And uh, in the case of the Panthers, I have no idea. But, uh, I mean, I guess they could sign him, but that, that doesn't that doesn't really move the needle for me. Granted, in that division, uh, Sam Darnold could get them a playoff berth, so maybe Derek Carr is, is worse. Uh, the, I only think he's like a you – know, he's, he's better than Darnold, but I don't know if it's enough for the Panthers to care. <laughs> 
by ne- not by enough though. Um, yeah, the, the the NFC South is fascinating to me. Um, yeah, I guess what, the main what, reason for the Panthers would be to keep them from going to the Saints and thus keeping their uh, cakewalk to a division title uh, cleared. Mm-hmm, ex- exactly. So, um, yeah, it's going to be wild to see how free agency shapes up. I, I know that uh, the Saints are already starting to make some restructurings and everything to, to get themselves uh, out of the – like is it, is it nine or seven circles of hell? Because they're, they've, they're, they've, they've broken new ground in hell for where they – their cap situation ended up yeah, it, it, yeah they're like it's inconceivable how bad their finances are. their pa- their past satan flapping is is icy wings um they're they're going you know uh, up a couple levels but it's st- they're still pretty deep uh in in the uh in the old hell trenches there um but uh, that that'll do it for our little news and notes here um let's go ahead and get into some best ball before then A message from our friends over at Underdog. The 2022 NFL season may be over, but you can already draft for 2023 on Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy football. Right now, you can draft an Underdog's way-too-early best ball format in drafts against your friends and fellow Rotowire listeners. All you have to do is join a draft room in their lobby, draft the team, and that's it. In best ball, there's no waivers, no trades, and you get the best scores in your starting lineup each week of the season, whoever has the highest scores at the end of the season will win some cold, hard cash. Just head to underdogfantasy.com, the App Store, or Google Play Store. Sign up with the promo code RWNFL. And not only will you get your first deposit doubled up to $100, but we will also hook you up with a six-month subscription to everything Rotowire has to offer for free. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code RWNFL. All right, Mario. Today, um, our best ball topic is going to be talking some quarterback strategy. I've, it, it kind of is an underserved, I feel like. It, it's it's overserved as far as t- like general NFL discussion, but for fantasy, it can be a little bit like, ah, uh, it'll all be fine. Like, you know, the, the, the curve flattens out like after the, the first or second guy, like it, it's all the same all the way to the 12th guy. Um, but that, I mean, that wasn't the case th- this past year, the people that were uh, of the, of the opinion. And I'm speaking from my own experience where it's like, Oh, you can wait on Aaron Rodgers or Derek Carr. That didn't go well. That went right. really badly. Uh, in fact, uh, that, that tanked some of my best ball teams on, on underdog. Um, so how are we doing it this year? What, what, how early is too early? Who in your mind is QB one for, uh, first of all, and, and, you know, how, how often do you think you're going to employ that early quarterback strategy? Well, um, so for, for underdog best ball, I think it's a little bit different of a case than the rest of fantasy. And there's the case to make that in the rest of fantasy too, there's, there's maybe, maybe it's time to, revaluate these quarterbacks and our understanding of how quarterbacks fit into the, the broader player pool. I'm not as quick to jump on the second one because like while, while, you know, Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen, all the quarterbacks, you know, especially those top ones are, are going higher than ever. It's like, it's also not the case that most years that like Lamar Jackson gets hurt slash does as poorly as he did. And that, uh, what Kyler Murray got hurt. Um, and had to deal with the, the lame dunk, lame, lame duck, Cliff Kingsbury regime. Um, 
those guys in that range that you talk about usually just do better, even if they're bums, you know, it's like usually Rogers or whoever gets the, the points per game that went to Jan- Daniel Jones, you know, it's usually in there. And I, I think it might be a little bit hasty to assume it'll never be there again. Okay. Um, which it, I understand why people, why ADP reacts that way. It's like, you can't, you can't reach for what you understand to be a hot stove and burn yourself again. But sometimes like it's not a hot stove the second time. Sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just something different. And, um, sometimes uh yeah like the players who break out change things a lot too like um before like Mahomes' rookie year he was available in like the 10th and 12th rounds of drafts and stuff like that and so uh you got to be on the lookout for for the new guys i don't think this rookie class has an obvious case of that but it, it you know it's something we got to keep keep aware of and um i think that's uh the bigger thing with underdog best ball I don't know if every contest they're going to have is, is going to be structured this way, but it would make sense if it were. And I like to change a lot, uh, at least in this big board contest that this big best pre-draft best ball tournament that they're doing. It's three or sorry, it's 20 rounds instead of 18. And they didn't introduce kickers or defenses. So you're just drafting from quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end in those extra two rounds, which to me uh, opens the floodgates for QB speculation, uh, both because of the trend that you were talking about, John, was like, regardless of the format, Mahomes, Allen, etc., they're going as high as ever, higher than ever. And yep. the case, either way, it's especially the case in this format. And, and um, it, it opens up a similar inflation dynamic for those later round guys, because those two extra rounds to me is a green light to take three quarterbacks instead of two. Something people could do that's a totally, you know, legitimate strategy, even in the 18 round format. But there's more depth at running back and receiver than there is at quarterback or tight end. So if I'm going two quarterbacks in an 18 round format, I am going three quarterback in, in the 20 round format, uh, just because I think I can find running backs and especially receivers in those rounds, 20, sorry, yeah, 19 and 20. Um, specifically like in the last round of the, the 20th round in drafts, you can find receivers who are going to be playing, you know, 650 snaps minimum. Uh, I wish I had a li- like Devin Duvernay. You can get in the last round, and especially after the Mon- Munkin hire, I love that one. Obviously, uh, he already before Duvernay got hurt last year, he was a good best ball value, um, even in the Roman offense. So I mm-hmm. really like him in the twentieth. But if you can get guys like Duvernay in the twentieth, then guys like even Jared Goff are going to be going high higher than you expected. And you got to um, more than most years understand that the quarterback you're you're kind of hoping, assuming makes it to your next pick really might not. Um, and that's, that's, uh, it's tough, especially if you're pursuing stacks and pairings, it's tough to, to, you know, stare down that risk. And it, it sucks when you're, you're so close to getting the pairing or the stack and you miss it. Cause you got a little too, uh, I won't say greedy, uh, but it, it's, it's, uh, you're going to have to take, uh, like for instance, Trevor Lawrence, I think was going in the fifth round of the drafts. Uh, Justin Fields going in like the late third, the quarterback market is way, uh, more higher priced. Uh, than ever in this format. And it, it makes a lot of sense because if you can't get Allen or Mahomes, then you can just get three starters and hopefully have somebody, you know, step up and you won't pay the price that you would have in previous years at running back receiver tight end. Cause you got two more rounds to pad those. So uh, my, my question for you, like going off of this and, and the idea of, of structure of roster construction with, with, with a three quarterback build in these 20 rounders, you're not going to do it, but I will tout this for you because I mean, you had this, I didn't hear anyone else coming out with this one last year. And, and 
it might be an anomaly of a case, but in the midst of all the Drew Locke hatred going into last year, you're like, well, also he's not going to start. It's going to be Geno Smith, and you were completely right. And that, and you know, he he ended up being a massive value. Do you see anyone, any sort of similar Geno cases as far as like a, a speculation? The market thinks it's going to be this guy, but it's actually going to be this guy, and 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 it's actually going to work out. Well, that's tough to answer because while I thought Gina would start, I did not at all think he would do as well as he did. No. Else I would have had Tyler Lockett like four rounds higher in my rankings. Um, but yeah, Gino uh, did awesome. So he's 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 very much in that uh, that category of guys who go surprisingly high. He's at the lower end, but uh, in underdog best ball, you're, like, you're going to probably have to take him by like the, I don't know, ninth or tenth or something like that, which is crazy to think about from past years. But yeah, like that cat. That's I guess that Gino would be therefore kind of like the poor, uh, not nearly as profitable analog to like Mahomes in the twelfth round, his his uh, first starting year or something. And those guys tend to or Tua before he got hurt, like those guys tend to pop up. But guessing from where is so difficult, um, and it's it's a uh, it's just easier said than done. With that, like, I guess Fields was also that guy. If you were able to weather the first seven or eight weeks or whatever that was, if you had a two, if you had a two of Fields combination, that was, I guess, just right. You get the first yes. uh, six weeks and then the last uh, nine or whatever. Um, but that category, I mean, not not to be like macabre uh, or morbid, but I'm not convinced Tua plays again. So if there's going to be someone t- who's not currently uh, going in like the top 10 rounds quarterback wise who could place that high. I think it's whoever would be his replacement in that event, just because like we already saw how favorable Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Mike McDaniel offense is like pretty much anybody, uh, anybody North of Skylar Thompson can run that offense. And uh, if, if there's someone vaguely qualified who, who gets that call, I, I think they could do a lot of what Tua did last year. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, I have I have no idea what's going on there, and uh, I, you know we talked a little bit about like the Panthers, Buccaneers. I guess whoever ends up in places like that, like we have to keep a little bit of an eye on, uh, just because um, yeah, there's, there's there's just a lot of unknowns right now. Something's something's could maybe be more obvious when we we know a little bit more about who's playing where. But for now, I think uh, the high upside thing it would have to be in. If, if someone replaces Tua, because I think it's just such a favorable system. Okay. Yeah, no, that, that absolutely becomes a, a really, really appealing landing spot. And like, like you said, it, even like a kind of replacement level quarterback could probably put up some really nice numbers for you, especially uh, given the acquisition cost where, wherever you end up getting them likely uh, well outside uh, the top 10 rounds, but really good um, input. Uh, insight there as far as the, the quarterback market, um, you know, ha- what to look out for, especially in these 20 rounders and, and how to gear up uh, your team, gear up your roster builds and, and you know, target some later round skill position guys instead of, of waiting. John, so mm-hmm. one one definite takeaway that I can say without conditions is pick receiver in the 20th round. You want to be picking your roster such that you're taking your receiver in the 20th because that's like where it. all the value is there. Love that call. Yeah, t- take your take your long shot there in the 20th with a receiver. And again, remember to sign up over at Underdog Fantasy using that promo code RWNFL. Get that deposit match up to $100. Get that six-month subscription over at Rotowire. Again, that's RW 
NFL. Let's go ahead, keep it moving. Uh, so you just put out an article, Mario, uh, bringing down s- some of the uh, some early uh, pre-combine uh, running backs. And I wanted to start things off. Everyone knows who B. John Robinson is, and it seems like uh, Jameer Gibbs is everyone's consensus number two. But it gets pretty interesting after that. I think this is a, a good class. Um, I want to. We, we talked a little bit about him off air before we got started here, and this is why I wanted to lead off uh, with him in, in regards to this discussion. Let's talk a little bit of Devin A. Chain out of out of Texas A. and M. I, for one, am a little bit surprised to see you this high on him. I think the production on A. Chain was great. It was great for for multiple seasons there at AM, even you know th- this past year a year in which AM's offense was about as heinous as, as you're going to find i mean just unwatchable so bad but um even still A-Chain still ran for for eight touchdowns ran for a career high 1100 yards but again why i was a little bit surprised is the frame the frame is is not necessarily one of a in your mind, is is A Chain's kind of track speed, which not kind of track speed. He he does run track and, and does have a track background. Is that enough to where he can just be that that hypercharged RB two in an offense? Yeah, and so he he has a small frame, and yeah, I, I don't generally like smaller framed running backs. But uh, any time that I otherwise say a player is quote to this or that, I don't. I don't usually mean it in a really final way. I mean it more in a general kind of colloquial way or whatever. But uh, you can be, quote, too small, which a chain would be at five foot nine, one eighty five, if you are also absurdly fast or if you have some other sort of capital as a player that can offset your deficit in another area. So um, to me, uh, not just that – not only is that a basis for making a chain an exception to, uh, you know, some sub 190 rule or whatever. Uh, and the, the thinking there, by the way, is just like, if he's that fast, he can do more with the usage than the average 185 player. So um, I am only making the exception simply because I think he can do more than, than most 185 pounders in a situation. Like none of them, all, if all the 185 pounders in the past failed, it's still true that none of them had the traits that a chain does. So mm-hmm. he can be an exception to it. And um, it wasn't just that, but uh, it, it's also the fact that at 185, with the kind of speed we have reason to believe that he has, uh, I don't know that much about track speed, but it, it sure seems like he should be running in the 4.2 second kind of range based on yeah. 100 meter and 200 meter times. And even if that was at 180, even if it was at 185, he could bulk up to the 200 pound range and still maybe be running in like a low four, three kind of like he could be one of the three fastest running backs in the NFL, even if he adds 20 pounds to his frame. So the, if he is too small, so-called then the, the speed is a reason to make him an exception anyway, but he also has so much speed that he can probably bulk up and, and remain one of the fastest running backs in the league. He'd still be smallish at five, eight, two Oh five. But it, you know, that's that's like a that's a 500, 600 snap easy projection on that kind of frame, and he could do quite a bit of damage in in that sort of exposure. So, uh, but yeah, the other thing, John, was, and I, I didn't expect this just glancing at his stats. Like generally, I, I look at everybody's stats, and then I look closer at the tape when I 
feel like I need to or when I feel like I got to split some hairs or another. And based on a chain's uh, production this year, I was actually kind of concerned. I was like, oh, what, hmm, looks like Spiller left and they, they increased a chain's workload and he kind of lost something in it. But then, like you said, I looked at when I was looking at it, I was like, oh, my God, this A&M offense is horrible. Um, yes. So it, it, so looked bad. More, it looked more like the Texas A&M offense dragged him down just yep. as his volume exposure went way up. So um, I was surprised at how polished he is as a running back. Like a lot of the times these track guys, you can tell they are track guys just playing football. You know, they'll just they'll just look unnatural about it. Anthony Schwartz. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I even think uh, like, what was that Iowa State guy, Wanwu or whatever? Like, oh, Kenny Wanwu, yeah. Yeah, like people are like, oh my god, he runs like a four two nine. He's gonna be amazing. It's like, well, have you seen him actually run? It's it's not like mm-hmm. it's not like the coolest looking four two you've ever seen. Uh, a chain uh, specifically, I'd be worried about him kind of just doing Naheem Hines stuff, I guess, like running into people, looking clumsy, uh, looking like he doesn't know what he's doing all the time. Those are things that. Uh, I always saw with Hines and it drove me insane the way he would get hyped because like, but he's fast and he's, he's, he can catch passes. It's like, yeah, but he can't run anywhere. And I was, just, I was worried that a chain would be something similar, but when you watch him, he's, uh, he's very good at altering his, um, he's good at like altering his lean. He's good at altering his, uh, like anchor. Like he, he, he'll change his stride for if the, the space gets smaller, like when he's running in traffic, he can run more choppy with his feet and, and lower to the ground with a little more anchor. But then when he gets to the open field, he can open up that stride a little bit. A lot of times with track guys, you see just the second thing. You don't see the ability to alter their stride, alter their pace, uh, things that help, you know, stop, start, change the direction, stuff like that. A chain seems to have all of that. And really, it doesn't make sense that he does. Being Spending as much track time as he has um, – Usually a player will look more raw at football for the fact when they're as active in track, like Jeff Dimps, you know, it's like he, he was that fast and he couldn't really do anything that much on the football field. Cause he was just a track guy getting shot out of a cannon. You watch a chain and it's like, what if Jeff Dems, uh, you know, spent a lot of time looking at Emmett Smith tape or something like that. It's, it's, it, it really looks like that. And um, if a chain is like 195 and runs a four, two, eight, if he's two Oh five and runs a four, three, five, um, I think he can make it into the first round. And if he's, if he's more like five, eight, one eighty five, and he still runs a four, two, five, he's more like a top 50 kind of player to me still could go in the first round for all I know. But if, if he's, if he's like a top three speed adjusted uh, or size adjusted speed back in the NFL, I think he could go ahead of Gibbs. Not that I would make that pick. Yeah. I, I love Devin a chain. Um, you know, uh, I think when he first really caught my eye was his, the Orange Bowl, uh, his true freshman season. Um, so A&M had a lot of guys sitting out for that game. And A-Chain, 12 carries, 140 yards, couple of touchdowns, capping off a year in, in which you know he, he's uh, spelling Isaiah Spiller, but still averaged eight and a half yards per, per carry. Looked like the best running back that, that A&M had. And then the following season, seven yards a carry over a much bigger sample, 130 carries, punched in nine touchdowns, um, was, was effective uh, on a yards per target basis as well. And then, again, th- this year, the, the numbers might not pop out to you as much, but it's important to, to contextualize. But 
I think the talent is there. Um, and I think that you've done a good job of, of kind of assuaging some of my frame concerns because it, that was my, my big fear coming into this year that like I, I could care less about the production from this year because I think it's just so such a tainted sample as far as A&M was concerned. But I just I wasn't sure where you landed on the the frame element and you know what what that was going to mean. But again, if the if the speed is that much of a trump card, and the the and there's enough weight there, if we're, if we're talking to him, you know, being in the mid one nineties, then it's going to end up being okay. Uh, John, it looks like your connection got a little weird there. I'm, I'm going to clarify real quickly if I can. Uh, the the size limitation definitely limits how much a chain can take the ball from scrimmage and especially as a ball carrier between the tackles. Um, I would worry normally about a 185 guy even being effective from scrimmage. Uh, the speed that he has means that he should be effective from scrimmage even despite the the liability frame. It wouldn't, however, mean he could take 200 carries a year. Being more like 205 pounds would. So, uh, yeah, I do hope that he is the more 205-pound, 4-3, kind of back than the 4-2-5, kind. But either one is a useful NFL player. It's just the, the heavier a chain is better for fantasy. Yeah, true. Okay, so um, we're, we're, we're looking at a, a potential volume cap there, but the per-touch efficiency right, should be yeah. really, really uh, nice when it comes to him. Let's get a couple of small school guys in the mix here um, as we, as we start to round out the show. Uh, one of my absolute favorites. I'm, I'm glad that he is uh, fairly high on your list as well. Talk to me about Dwayne McBride out of UAB. Right. Uh, McBride, he's listed, I think, at 5'11", 215. He sure looks more like 220, 225. Yes. He, he plays like he's, you know, Cam Hayward or something. Um, it's, it's crazy how difficult it seems to be to tackle that guy. And you look at his numbers at UAB, uh, basically, he's like off to the races all the time, uh, doing like seven plus yards per carry, even though he's scoring a touchdown like every, you know, 10 carries or something insane like that. Uh, didn't catch any passes. And concerningly enough, it's not just that the UAB offense uh, didn't throw to, or, sorry, it's not that the UAB offense didn't throw to its running backs. It's that McBride was never on the field when they did. They had this other guy, this other running back who would play off the bench and was a pass-catching specialist. Um, the better that I, – I, you might know his name. You probably know his name, John. I don't remember his name. But uh, the better that guy is as a passing down back, the better for McBride because we don't want McBride sitting on passing downs because he's just so freaking bad at it. We want him to sit in passing downs because this guy's that good at it. Um, I don't know which way it cuts. Um, it, it could be either one from where I'm sitting. But as a runner, I mean, McBride – is uh he's interesting because he's he's got the most explosive rushing production in the class and yet when you watch him on tape he's not very fast that's not good i just mean it to say it's, it is interesting because even though he's not straight line fast he keeps running away from people over and over and over and over and it's happened you know so many times you can't call it a system detail no one else for uab is doing this no one people are probably going to compare him to jordan howard because he started out at uab too and like a power back and big guy catch passes mm -hmm. Jordan Howard was nowhere near as good at UAB as Dwayne McBride was. And I like Howard, but he, he was like a, you know, mid five yards per carry, high five yards per carry. Dwayne McBride is always over seven and just touchdowns like crazy. So he, I think, at worst fits into that kind of like, not as a pass catcher, but as, as, a, as a pure runner with the ball, the category that Ramondre Stevenson is in where 
like he's slow, but he makes a lot of big plays because he moves forward. You know, like it, it sounds like a, it's a stupid, you know, no duh observation, but a lot of running backs don't move forward. Like they'll, they'll get stalled up some, for some reason or another. It's like, you know, I talk about Naheem Hines. He, he just runs into people, runs into his own people over and over and over. Uh, Dwayne McBride, he just finds a way to keep moving forward. And like Stevenson, I think it's because he is certainly, you know, strong bull uh, sort of build. And he's, he's uh, able to keep his balance while withstanding tons of contact. And that's a little different than brute strength. It's like McBride has the brute strength too, I think, but he has a way of taking hits that just, um, I don't know if it's because he plays leverage well, or if it's uh, something that he just does instinctively without knowing it, but he, he just seems to like slip off of guys in addition to running over them or like he'll, he'll set his feet and some guy will come flying, you know, from the safety spot and try to hit him. And he kind of will, but the safety sort of just keeps going, slides off him. And then, then McBride, he stays squared up. He doesn't lose any ground. So he keeps moving forward. And it's like he's not truly just outrunning everybody, but he's, he just keeps being the last guy standing. And uh, not, not from doing things that are, like, freakishly unrepeatable in the NFL. It's not like he's carrying eight defenders uh, for the last 20 yards of all of these big plays he makes. It's that he, he just sheds a guy, keeps moving, sheds a guy, keeps moving. And uh, also, I, I wouldn't be that shocked if McBride tests a little better than expected. Like, he he looks like a 4'6 guy when you watch him. But sometimes he, sometimes bigger backs, and especially a guy who needs to, like, pace himself a little bit with the kind of he's, – he's just hard running McBride. Like, it's not like he's running through open lanes or something like that. And like the, Yeah, this is an offense that was built around him. Like, the, the yeah, defenses runs. knew that he was the guy to stop. Yeah, when you have to grind out that kind of yardage uh, with that level of effectiveness, like it's it's going to change the way you run. You're not going to run as fast as you would have as an off the bench player. And indeed, you look at McBride's first year; they gave him he had a few games off the bench. He's averaging nine yards a carry that year. So it's like he he runs that slow, yes, but like he's also running that slow so he doesn't run out of gas before the game is over. So. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if, in any case, I, I believe McBride can run like few people can, and I, I, I hope somebody gives him a shot because I highly doubt he fails. Yeah, I'm, I'm in on him as well. Funny anecdote about him. Um, so, obviously, I'm, I'm big into our fantasy college football stuff at, at Rotowire, and going into the 21 season, like you, like you mentioned, there was a bite-sized sample of him from 2020, which is really impressive, like nine yards of carry. Like, who is this guy? He's well over 200 pounds. Um, it's like, okay, all right, th- this is this should be sick. You know, Spencer Brown is, is gone for, from UAB. Like, here we go. And his first game as the featured guy for UAB in, in 2021, it's against Jacksonville State. And he fumbles twice and loses both of them. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, all the hype and goodwill I've been trying to build up over the summer for him has just gone up completely in smoke but no he was able to to you know run for well over a thousand yards each of those two seasons that he was the starter uh 32 rushing touchdowns combined over those last two years i'm in i'm in he uh, does have to watch that fumbling that's a good point though it's this is something you see especially with backs who break tons of tackles uh they they get punched at more than other backs and he's gotta he's gotta be ready for it but you know jonathan taylor kind of showed that you just you hold it higher and tighter than you used to, and you, you get over it, hopefully. Yep. 
hopefully. Um, and then uh, let, let's go one more guy, uh, the guy you have ranked uh, right behind him, another small school guy. Maybe something of a small school version of, of Devin H. And all the numbers probably don't, don't match up super clean, but frame-wise and speed-wise, um, I think it does. Keaton Mitchell out of East Carolina. Yeah, so with a chain, the reason we keep going back to this 4-2 number is because of his track times with 100-meter and 200-meter. Uh, for all I know, that information is out there for Mitchell. I, I failed to look for it, but I am not aware of these, you know, 10.1 second 100 meter times for Mitchell like we have with a chain but it doesn't seem like it's too much of a leap to suggest based on his tape alone that Mitchell is very fast some version of very fast um it could just be like 445 that wouldn't be that great he's he's going to be probably like 58185 I'd like him to be more in that 43 range he certainly looks like it and his production at East Carolina is spectacular uh, to the point that it's hard to explain if he isn't fast. And this isn't like some juggernaut offense that just made it really easy on him. It's like he he largely was the reason East Carolina's offense was as good as it was, especially the past couple years. So um, he's probably not going to be able to withstand a ton of contact from scrimmage, uh, certainly not taking on the workloads that he did at East Carolina. But he did thrive as a you know really heavily used running back for East Carolina, and he, you know he held up fine. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like Mitchell a lot. If he if he's running like a four three five at one ninety five, I don't really see a good argument against. Certainly not by round three. And even if someone took him in round two, if he put up workout numbers like that, I wouldn't criticize it because you watch Mitchell. It's like all the time he's just he's just shot out of a cannon, you know. And it's it's not because there's that much room for him. It's just he just moves like that. Did like a, I think the play that caught my eye for him and and put him on my radar was the opening game of the 2021 season when, when they played app state and he had this catch and run that was like, who is this guy? Excuse me? Like just crazy, crazy blazing speed. Um, and for him to, you know, not just be, um, like a, a passing down guy, but to take on legitimate, you know, 170 carries that year, 200 plus carries the following season that this past year, that's really impressive stuff. So like, I think that there, there's definitely a path to him being relevant. And I think that he's, he's a reason why I love this running back class. Like that it's so it's deep and it's varied. It's, it's got guys at the top, like, like a Bijan. But if you're, if you're not spending that first round draft capital, you can be very happy early day three or late day two with, with the Keaton Mitchell or, or Dwayne McBride. Absolutely. Yeah, there's uh, so I have McBride and Keaton toward the top of that tier. I think that's a pretty inclusive tier, though. It, there's a lot of like good role player type prospects at running back. I think those two, uh, McBride and, and Mitchell, can be real like fantasy factors if they get the shot. Um, some guys like Kenny McIntosh, maybe a little more role specific, but I got him in that range. Hey, um, nice. Th- rounds three through five, basically, pending workout numbers. I I, I plan on making these a little more specific uh pending the workout numbers but yeah that's like i i'm probably gonna get some complaints for having guys like kendra miller and zach evans way down around like 12 you know like chase brown and those guys um it's not because i mean to like criticize them or push them aside it's you'll notice i'm projecting them basically the same rounds for like six of the guys ahead of them it's just a pretty big tier and it's kind of hard to separate some of those guys without having workout numbers um two more things uh, one in, in regards to Keaton Mitchell, you, you talked about 
turning on the film. Does not Holton Allers remind you of Jared Lorenzen, especially after a couple of years? He got Cro- big. Cross, CrossFit Jared Lorenzen. He's still uh, a lot. Yeah, he's like, he's a, uh, we can call him like steroid Lorenzen. Uh, <laughs> and that he's, he's, like, he's like 70 pounds lighter. Allers was, Allers was like a good runner early in, in his ECU career. And by the time like his bowl game rolled around this year, like who is this guy? Like he got that man's on the couch. Wasn't he bigger? I feel like he was like two forty as a recruit. Um, he, anyway, uh, he looks big and oh, I don't yeah, know, like does. marshmallow monster soft. Well, the East West. He was at the East West game. They must have weighed him in there. I guess I can if I can find my uh, my my history fast enough. Uh, let's see. He's not on not on the East. Maybe he's on the West team. Um, Maybe I guess he, never mind. I guess he. I guess he didn't play in that one. Anyway, yeah, Holt Naylor's a good college quarterback. Maybe he can be like a good uh, quarterback. Team. He's just. I, don't I know. just wanted to point out that he's kind of a, a hefty left. Oh, he's, he's aesthetically very, very funny. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and then everyone's favorite running back from the Senior Bowl, Ty J Spears, fifteenth on your list. Yeah, so him too. People it's are gonna like, be mad. Yeah, if he goes in the third round, I wouldn't be shocked. But in the meantime, uh, and I, I think he'll be pretty fast. I, I, I think Spears is good with the football. The problem is we don't know certain things uh, as solidly about him as we do some of these other players. And I'm thinking specifically uh, size-adjusted speed. He's listed at 195. His production is really good, and you, you know, looking at the tape, he seems some version of fast. But if you're south of 200. You need to be a chain Keaton Mitchell fast. You need to be, you know, comparably good as a pass catcher. Uh, I don't know if Spears is going to be uh, grading that well on either of those fronts. And um, yeah, I, I I'm willing to change things. If, if for instance, if he runs like a sub four four at 195, I'll be like, oh yeah, that's that's the kind of fast that we needed. That his his game as a runner can translate with that kind of speed. Um, but if he runs like if he's like 195 and he runs like a four five two or something, then that's that's tough. That's that's putting a lot of pressure on other parts of his game to to make up the gap. And if he's small, uh, I, I don't know what to make of his pass catching. If he can if he can also con- if he can convince as a pass catcher, that would be another way. But 195, you're not going to be playing that many snaps. And if you're not going to offset the snap deficit with more explosiveness uh, by demonstrating this, the required speed to do so, then I'm not at that point counting him out, but I have more concerns with him than I do some of these other guys who I just, you know, it's like, I, I still like Spears, but I have fewer reasons to worry about some of these other ones. And so he just kind of gets caught in the shuffle that way. But yeah, if Spears goes in like the third round, that wouldn't be shocking. And I, I am open to moving him up, especially, especially, especially if he comes in at a heavier weight than I expect. Okay. All right. So that that's all well reason. It just like, it was getting out of hand like two weeks ago. During, People during, can't uh, talk about this stuff, man. You, you, no. senior they're, they're so bad about running back, anything, I guess. But the running backs around senior bowl time are just, you get the worst, worst, worst brain drain analysis you can find. It's just, it's, just yeah. utter garbage. It's John Kelly hype season. Uh, yeah. Click click and subscribe, please. Click like. Thank Yeah, thank you. So, um, yeah, L- listen to us instead. We got the insight. We got the intel. Uh, for you um yeah i'm excited that you uh you got eric gray on there too i mean 
right, he's, but... he's real quick. I like his game. I'm just worried he's too slow, too small. But uh, hopefully, I'm just wrong about that. Okay. Uh, like uh, we can unpack the Eric Gray saga. We can do a six-hour running back episode. Yeah, like a yeah. serial. Um, yeah, <laughs> hardcore history, but it's just if running backs. Um, just running backs you won't know of in two years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but we we like have lost childhood memories. Uh, just remembering their workout numbers <laughs> and and like production from like their their non-conference games as a sophomore in college, all that good stuff. Anyway, that's gonna wrap it up for us here on the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, presented by our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. If you haven't done so yet, sign up over at Underdog using that promo code RWNFL. You get a deposit match up to hundred bucks. You get six months free at rotowire get get access to everything we got we got baseball season coming up so particularly useful for that and that, that'll carry you through uh, draft season for nfl as well so i highly recommend jumping on that again that's promo code rwnfl for mario puig i'm john mckechnie thanks for listening try rotowire today free for 10 days get our premium tools rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.